X-Ray. Welcome to The Local, your daily dose of hometown news and democracy. I'm Jefferson Smith from Portland, Oregon. It is Friday, January the 8th. Today, back in the day, January 8th, 1790, George Washington gave his first State of the Union address in New York City. He closed his address with this. The welfare of our country is the great object to which our cares and efforts ought to be directed. And I shall derive great satisfaction from a cooperation with you in the pleasing though arduous task of ensuring to our fellow citizens the blessings which they have a right to expect from a free, efficient, and equal government. And today, back in the day, January 8, 1828, the Democratic Party of the United States was organized. The oldest voter-based political party in the world and the oldest existing political party in the United States. And like the story of the United States of America, much of the best essence of the Democratic Party story is a redemption story. And today, back in the day, January 8, 1867, the U.S. Congress passed a bill to allow African-American men the right to vote in Washington, D.C. Despite a veto by President Andrew Johnson, this week illustrates the importance of voting rights for everybody and what happens when those rights are exercised. We're looking at you, Georgia. Today, we'll have your Quick 6 news headlines and an interview with constitutional scholar and local attorney, Jim Westwood. First up, it is time for today's Quick 6 local rundown. X-Ray. Wednesday's events in Washington, D.C. involved an impacted Oregonian. Senator Jeff Merkley posted on social media video of his ransacked office. Representative Suzanne Bonamici also shared her thoughts on the day through her social media feeds. And now we know that at least three Oregonians were arrested as part of the seditious riot and breach of the Capitol. Among those arrested, Christina Malamon, vice chair of the Young Republicans of Oregon. Malamon was arrested for unlawful entry and curfew violations at the Capitol. And Oregon's lone Republican in Congress voted to overturn the election. Cliff Bentz, Republican from Ontario, joined eight senators and 138 other House members, all Republicans, in votes to overturn the certified votes and results submitted by the states. Bentz continued to apologize for the president and to promulgate the extremist rhetoric and to continue the unfounded narrative of a stolen election. His, quote, my goal is to protect the integrity of our elections. He went on to refuse to describe the day as a coup and said, as far as judging the president, I don't see how that's very productive right now. Representative Mance was sworn in on Sunday as Oregon's newest member of Congress. Nobody challenged the count on that. A bit of commentary and context. Cliff came up as the corporate lawyer for major agricultural interests in eastern Oregon. He won the hotly contested Republican primary. He has reminded multiple people of Bill Barr with a country club tone mixing with the politics of a Trump confederate. And now it's time for your daily dose of data. On Wednesday, the Oregon Health Authority confirmed 867 new coronavirus cases and 10 new COVID-related deaths. The state's death toll is now 1,568, and total cases have reached 121,085. Currently, 462 Oregonians are hospitalized with COVID-19. This is 18 fewer than yesterday. 66,920 vaccine doses have been administered of the 250,100 doses delivered to sites across the state. Only 1.2% of Oregon's population has been vaccinated, ranking it 36th in the nation. The rebuilding has begun. The wildfire season was months ago, 
There has been sustained impact on so many Oregonians. FEMA is clearing the way for temporary housing in Lynn and Marion counties for those who lost everything in the fires. Construction is starting in Mill City for 16 temporary housing structures. In total, 250 Oregon families have been approved for direct temporary housing. A person is eligible for temporary housing if FEMA confirms a person owned a home that suffered $17,000 or more in damages or if a FEMA confirms a renter's home suffered major damages or was destroyed. Housing will be available until March 2022. The Portland City Council has started a new year and a new term, and with that, new bureau assignments. Bureau assignments, of course, are the ambit of Portland's Mayor Ted Wheeler. Commissioner Joanne Hardesty will continue to lead the Fire Bureau, Portland Fire and Rescue, also will take on the Bureau of Transportation and the Office of Community and Civic Life. This was one held by Commissioner Chloe Udaley. It was Udaley's leadership of this bureau that got her crosswise with a bunch of neighborhood associations and that was part of the fuel for Mingus Maps run for city council to replace her. Commissioner Carmen Rubio will lead the Parks Bureau, Portland Parks and Recreation, also the Bureau of Planning and Sustainability, and the Office of Community Technology. Commissioner Rubio will also serve as liaison to the arts organizations, RAC, the Regional Arts and Culture Council, and the Portland Five Centers for the Arts and the Portland Community Media. Meanwhile, newly minted Commissioner Mingus Maps, who previously worked in city government, will lead the Bureau of Emergency Communications, also the Water Bureau, and BES, that's the Bureau of Environmental Services. BES, by the way, are the people who try to keep your poopy away from the salmon. That's not how they put their job, but that's one way of thinking about it. Commissioner Dan Ryan, he was sworn in in September. He'll keep the three bureaus assigned when he was sworn in. That's the Bureau of Development Services. That's BDS. Those are the people you complain about when you're dealing with permits. Also, the Joint Office of Homeless Services and will be overseeing the Portland Housing Bureau. You can see the connection there. Dan Ryan is almost becoming sort of the housing czar in Portland. The mayor will continue to hold the Portland Police Bureau and now lead the Bureau of Emergency Management. To be clear... The Bureau of Emergency Management is not to be confused with the Bureau of Emergency Communications. The Bureau of Emergency Communications, that's run by Mingus Maps. That's 911. Bureau of Emergency Management, they promote readiness, coordinate response, build resilience for Portland. They work to advance Portland's mitigation, preparedness, response, and recovery capabilities. What does that mean? Well, emergency communications, 911, those are the people who are going to call if there's a big earthquake or maybe a COVID-19 emergency. Bureau of Emergency Management, those are the people who are planning what happens when you do call. And maybe even to prevent as many people from having to call. Ted Wheeler will also lead the City Budget Office, the Office of Management and Finance, the Office of Government Relations, the Office of City Attorney. Those, by the way, are traditional mayoral roles. Prosper Portland, the Office of Violence Prevention, and the Office of Equity and Human Rights. City Council is back to work. And good news. School is back. As we consider a new normal in 2021, many students and families continue to wait for in-person school days. It looks like students in Lake Oswego won't have much longer to wait. On Tuesday, Lake Oswego School Superintendent Laura De La Cruz announced that the district's goal is to open the first week of February. This announcement comes after Governor Kate Brown shared new school opening guidance in late December. The guidance reopened for in-person instruction as soon as possible. For students in Lake Oswego, a phased return is on the horizon. Kindergartners will start in-person hybrid classes first, followed by first graders. The goal is to have all elementary school students back by February 25th. Middle and high school plans have not yet been announced. Portland Public Schools has announced that they will provide an update to students and families 
by February 1st. Multnomah County is requesting a homeless count delay. Every two years is a federal requirement to conduct a count of unsheltered individuals. The City-County Joint Office of Homeless Services quiz, who runs that office? Answer, Dan Ryan. Good answer. Well done, folks. We're doing this together. Anyway, the Joint Office has submitted a request to the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development to delay that biennial requirement due to COVID-19 safety concerns. The Oregonian reports one significant impact. There will not be an accurate baseline of data or data to inform the recently passed Metro housing measure. In 2019, Multnomah County reported a 4% decrease of people who were homeless. That's about 4,000 people, 4,015 in their report. Though the total decreased, the number of people living outside went up from 1,668 to 2,037. HUD granted a delay to Seattle, King County, and L.A. County. Clackamas County joins Multnomah County in requesting such a delay to January 2022. And that's today's Quick 6 Local Rundown. X-Ray. Need the insights of a constitutional scholar to make sense of this week's events? We thought so. Here are Attorney Jim Westwood with Jefferson Smith. Questions, answers, a cure for your existential angst? Let's see what they can do. Here are Jim and Jefferson. We are here with Jim Westwood. You listen to news with my dad, and right now it is news and analysis with Jim Westwood. Jim Westwood, longtime lawyer, constitutional scholar, has been involved in teaching scores of smart young people about the Constitution, both its specificities, its philosophical underpinnings, its historical background, and one of the uh, one of the the well, actually, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna speak to his current. Uh, his current voter registration, but one of the longtime Republicans who I dearly respect and care about and very grateful to have in the, well, not in the studio, but on the phone right now. Jim, good morning and Happy New Year. Good morning, Jefferson. That is high praise. Uh, thank you very much. I will I will add, just as a starter, maybe to turn your audience, I don't know if they'll turn it off or not. I remain a Republican and plan to continue to remain a Republican. And I, um, yeah. but anyway... <laughs> and and I, and I may want to ask you about that. I suspect your answer is because you deeply uh, respect its origins and the way you see its purpose, and and your hope is that it needs to have some people who are sort of generally want genuinely want a Republican form of government within the party. But you can speak for yourself, and uh, but that's my hunch. You you've got it exactly right. I'm a, well Mitt Romney sort of Republican right now, um, and I, I I think I do like to talk a little bit about. Um, a, a post that I put up on Facebook about the Fourteenth Amendment. Yeah, uh, let, get to that now. Or? Yeah, let's start. Let's start with that. Why don't you? Why don't you go ahead and share it? It did catch my attention. I appreciate you being here. Okay. Well, in the wake of the Civil War, the Fourteenth Amendment was uh, ratified by the states. Congress, of course, put it put it out to the states, and um, it it provides a lot of uh, wonderful protections for not just citizens but for people in the jurisdiction of the United States. Due process. No deprivation of life, liberty, or property without due process. Equal protection of the laws. Uh, all those wonderful things. That's in Section 1. Not many people realize in Section 3, there's what's called a disqualification clause that was directed at those who had seceded from or you know engaged in the secession process in the Civil War against the United States and were still holding office. The uh, 14th Amendment was aimed at making sure that people who had actually taken up arms or had engaged in insurrection or given comfort to the enemies of the United States wouldn't hold public office again. And a lot of 
the old Confederate officials, such as Jefferson Davis and others, were uh, were were barred from holding office again. That uh, that section applies today. The the courts have said it's not just for civil war; it's, it's still an active part of the Constitution. And yesterday, when President Trump gave that speech that set the people off to the Capitol, I started to think, you know, this could be um, an insurrection. And members of Congress, Mitch McConnell and Mitt Romney, have both called it an insurrection. Romney has called it his insurrection, his Trump's insurrection. Well, if it was indeed an insurrection, can Congress now act to bar Donald Trump from holding public office again? You know, we, we know he'd like to run in 2020 or uh, yeah, 2024, and this this might just be plain vindictiveness. But on the other hand, he did some pretty terrible things yesterday. I've never been a fan of the president. Uh, I make no secret of that. And so, looking at the you know section three, I think yeah, maybe this can be applied. There are a lot of obstacles to it. We can talk about some of those if you want to. Well, let's dwell on at least. One, I think. Let's dwell on Jefferson. Yeah, let's dwell on at least for a moment that there is a desire. You know, where is vindictiveness and where is accountability? Where is also sending a signal to what a president can and can't do, and making sure there are some lines drawn in history and in principle and in norms that say if you cross these, you're not going to be able to get na- things named after you, and afterwards you're not going to be able to have a comeback. And by the way, it could have practical impact because if you're one of the diehards from yesterday who are still planning some version of a plot, you could hope that this is like 1923 Germany, and this is when the aggrieved uh, 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 Trumpists will be able to say, look, that election was stolen, and that's why we're going to have to not just rely on elections, we're going to have to rely on arms, or we're going to have to come back in greater force and win elections in the future. So it might be more than, or not merely, uh, vindictiveness. So how would it happen? The difference of the 25th Amendment, which, as I understand it, takes a bigger vote uh, than even impeachment, uh, and the impeachment vote is you need to have articles drawn up, and then you also have to have supermajority votes uh, cast in Congress. The, Correct. Uh, so what is the difference here? How would that actually go down? And you said there are some barriers. What are those barriers? Well, it, it, first of all, it doesn't have to be done while he's still in office. Congress can take its time. You know, what, what, what's being done is barring someone from future public office, and that could be done you know, next month, next year by Congress uh, if they wanted to. Um, unclear exactly what the vote needed is, but it's, well, clear enough to me. There's just a simple majority in both houses to, um, to impose the, the disqualification. There's some question in the text of the section whether it actually applies to the president. Um, I think it does. That that's a conversation that would be for lawyers. But yeah, let's say it does apply to the president. What is an insurrection? Well, Congress is doing this. I think it's pretty much like high crimes and misdemeanors and impeachment. It's what Congress decides it is. And there's plenty of evidence from what happened yesterday uh, to support a finding, a political finding by Congress, but that's all it would take, that Donald John Trump engaged in insurrection against the United States of America. Um, Now I come to a couple of other things, though. Uh, This is directed at one individual. Article 1, Section nine of the constitution prohibits congress from passing what they call bills of attainder that is a law directed at one person saying this person is attainted it's um it kind of ties in with due process 
And I think, again, if Congress were by majority in both houses to pass a resolution and do it after due process. Now, there is some, some precedent in 1919 for a congressman who was denied um, entry into Congress on the basis of Section 3. Um, Congress set up a special committee which investigated and allowed the, uh, the person involved to come testify to present his side of the story, and then it voted with only one dissent to bar this guy from entering the House of Representatives. Um, that, I think, would be a process that could be done. I, I'm not one of these people who thinks, throw him out yesterday. Yeah. Um, he's, he's a citizen, not only a citizen, he's in the United States. He's entitled to his 14th Amendment protection, well, his 5th Amendment protections to due process. And um, so with proper process, I think it might be worth seriously worth considering giving this guy his due. Jefferson, I agree with your analysis. It's not pure vindictiveness if it's done right. And so you could imagine the Congress itself coming up with some version of process, some sort of mini impeachment proceeding almost. It wouldn't be called that, mm-hmm. but, but some, you know, some sort of hearing, some sort of vote, some sort of fact finding. And then to uh, avoid or counter the claim that it was just a bill of attainder, that it was just a law focused on one single individual and and depriving them of, of rights without uh, due process of law. And then there would allow the country to be able to have a, a, a clear statement that this kind of thing isn't okay. Do you think that was on the mind of any advisor to the president when when this morning came out and said, hey, let's abide by the election so that he could later say, when because there were people yesterday calling for uh, for the, uh, oh, I'm forgetting, uh, Ted Cruz and who's the other? Uh, um, Holly, Missouri. Yeah, I forget his name. Yeah, Holly, I think is right. Josh Holly. Yeah, Holly, right. Uh, and and Donald Trump to be impeached, to be removed, to be more than censured. Uh, and uh, do you think that what that what you are saying was on the mind of any decision maker when Donald Trump, to some degree, stood down this morning? Oh, I, I think probably it was on Donald Trump's mind. Yeah, you've got to realize he's in a in a world of hurt right now for having gone out there yesterday said we want a wild demonstration in the Capitol and then essentially inciting the crowd. It, it, it just, well, it made my Republican blood boil. Uh, he's, he's not one of my kind, that's for sure. Um, so, yeah, I mean, this, this uh, his walking it back, I think, is him trying to start to make a case that uh, he shouldn't be impeached, he shouldn't uh, be subject to, Arctic, to the 25th Amendment, or and I don't know how many other people are thinking of Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, yeah. uh, but uh, I think subjected to that as well. It, it just, this, I think something more than censure is, is warranted here, but it, I think it needs to be done with deliberation. And to be clear, this one is an obvious one, but in your view, what the president was engaged in yesterday, what Eric and, and Donald Trump Jr. were uh, engaged in yesterday, what Rudy Giuliani was engaged in yesterday, and, and what the protesters and rioters were engaging yesterday went beyond protected speech and into incitement i i uh, well the speech itself um yeah you know <laughs> it depends that's what makes it tough yeah but yeah I'd, I'd say yes it did yeah and and then also in taken with the other facts like hey everybody gather and go wild and and email after email and tweet after tweet of, of ginning people up it was not i mean it, 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 
it ultimately became not a surprising event, even if it was a shocking event. Jim Westwood, thank you so much for being okay. with us, man. Th- and thanks for being a human being of conscience for all of your all of your work and service in our community. And I wish you all, all the best. Jefferson, thanks for all you do. I appreciate it. Bye. Thanks to Jim Westwood for joining the local. Special thanks, our first one, 2021 executive editor, Will Romey. Supporting editors and writers, Jonathan Covington Bram, Brian Miller, Julie Oppenheimer, Quali, mm, come on, Carly Quadros, Jalisa Ringering, Miranda Selinger, Ryder Sherwood, and Sam Smargiasi. Big ups to co executive producer Emily Gilliland. I'm Jefferson Smith. Thanks for listening to Local, your hometown, in about 30 minutes. Thanks for subscribing, giving a five star review, and thank you, Democracy. Talk to you tomorrow. X ray.